Good day and welcome to the Savings Angel Show. I'm Josh Ellich, Chief Executive Angel at SavingsAngel.com. Lots of savings, one angel. Podcasting to you from beautiful Orlando, Florida. I've got the window open. It's spring for most areas of the country. And as a consumer expert, money-saving advocate, syndicated newspaper columnist, and syndicated TV consumer guy, I have to say, I love this time of year. There's something about spring that just gives a feeling of starting fresh, not to mention all the deals that crop up this time of year, which I love. Everything from travel to cleaning products are on sale, and the deals are plenty. Now, along with spring deals, if you have a graduating senior, like I do, believe it or not, you're finding yourself in a flurry of activity for the end of high school and the start of college. My dear daughter, all prepared. She got accepted to the, a great college. She's going to be starting college in the fall, and I couldn't be more proud of her. That's why today I have with me Robert Farrington of thecollegeinvestor.com. Now, Robert has some invaluable information for seniors and their parents, grandparents, and their guardians about college debt. Don't worry, it's not scary. We're going to talk about the good news about college debt, how you can manage that. And, uh, you know, again, I I want to make you feel good about the prospects of college, no matter what your situation is. Now, to go along with that, I have back with me Randy Padauer, Community Education Specialist from Lexington Law. He's a consumer advocate, and he and I together are going to continue our talk about credit reports, credit scores, and the impact they have, making you even more powerful. Now, even if you're not looking at needing college loans or any other loan right now, understanding credit reporting and credit scores is invaluable for anyone's future. Now, finally, I'll have some changes coming up to couponing that you need to know. Some major retailers have made some major changes and it impacts you. I've got a fantastic show lined up, so let's get more savings, let's get more earnings, and let's get more living abundantly. All right, Robert Farrington, my friend, you are the college investor at thecollegeinvestor.com, correct? You got it. I'm excited to be here with you today, Josh. Thank you. All right. So what I'd really love to discuss is, and if you can provide me some insight, I'd love to talk about not necessarily just saving for college, but let's say that the savings is where it is, right? Let's say, you know, kid is in, you know, their senior year, they're getting ready to college. Let's talk independent of all of that. I want to talk about um, strategies, tips and strategies for parents who have a kid and the kid's getting ready to go to college. And so they're looking at what's available to them at that point. So what I'd really love to talk about is maybe just a little bit about scholarships, because I've talked about that recently with Jocelyn Panetta. Oh, she's got a great program. I love, uh, Jocelyn. love Jocelyn. Yes, yes. And so um, we've talked about that. So we don't wanna, I don't want to go much into that, but I really want to talk about figuring out what a student should do aside from that. So let's kind of start with what a student should be doing in their senior year. 
Yeah, well, let's dive into that first. So I think, Josh, the important thing is, is that parents need to have open conversations with their kids about what the kids should expect and what the parents should expect. So, you know, if you're going into it, you know, maybe you saved, maybe you didn't. Maybe you have a, a certain thing in mind that you want to contribute or not. But I think having that open dialogue can give your student and yourself a sense of where to start. How much money are you going to need? Maybe the parent's going to pay for just tuition and the student's going to be responsible for everything else. Or mm -hmm. maybe the parent's going to pay for, you know, room and board and the students, you know, so whatever that div, div, division looks like, it's important to have those conversations early. Yeah. So that way you figure out what the balance look like. And there's no surprises because shockingly, there are too many surprises when it comes to this. And if there's a surprise, it could lead to making poor financial decisions in a hurry. You know, part of what my dear wife and I, so what we what we communicated with our daughter who is going to college next year is that we didn't want to, you know, even though we probably could pay for more, we kind of really want our daughter to sacrifice and stretch a little bit. We want her to feel like there's just a little bit of pressure that she should apply for every and all scholarship that she can. Um, you know, she's already, she has an amazing work ethic. I think that she gets that from mom and dad, um, which, you know, that's terrific. But part of figuring all this out is like where the money comes from. I think you look at individual sources and so, you know, you've got mom and dad, that's one. Yeah. Um, and we have agreed to pay just a certain percentage of it. And we've let our daughter know that the rest is your responsibility. I paid for 100% great. of my college, my w dear wife paid for 100% of hers. It can be done. And you, believe it or not, I think it can be done without amassing huge student loans, right? Absolutely. It definitely can be done. But that's key. Is So now she knows what the difference is. So now you can just do the math and see what you have to come up with every single year. And then it's about putting in the time of deciding on how you want to pay for that. So we already talked about scholarships. I think scholarships are great when you're in high school. And you can act, there's scholarships that you can actually get during school, too. There, there's a lot fewer of those. But spending that senior year of high school applying for every scholarship you can is huge. Um, you already talked to Jocelyn. I know Ramit Sadie, another big personal finance guy, he, you know, talks about how he paid for Stanford on scholarships because mm. he spent, he applied, I think something like 90 something, the scholarships and like treated that like a full-time job in high school. So that's a, definitely a way to do it. And then, you know, you can work. I think working is absolutely a great way to pay for school. You can work in high school, you can work in the summer before college, and you can work full-time during college. I personally worked 32 to 40 hours a week in college. Josh, I think you said that you worked yep. during college as well. Um, that not only gives you that income, but it also gives you a lot of great life skills to potentially boost your income after graduation. You know, I'm absolutely with you in that, Robert. I, I did. Uh, so both my dear wife and I did work in excess of 30 hours every single week while we were in college. You know, being a college student, yes, you're busy, but I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You have a lot of free time, too. So you may as well fill that up with being productive rather than just like hanging out and getting in trouble and that sort of thing. So I'm really grateful that our daughter has a great work ethic. And I think if you work with your student and, you know, I'd love your insight on this in terms of like planning it all out, you know, maybe putting it in an Excel spreadsheet and figuring out, well, here's what you can earn every single week if you work and plan on them maybe looking for a job that will give them that amount of income and and just kind of add that up year to year and then over the course of the four years. And so they can see, wow, you know, if you put in this many hours a week, by the end of the four years, this is how much you've worked toward that. And this is just going to provide you a much better lifestyle than if you think, well, I'm just going to take it easy in college, put it all on student loan.
Yep. And then, I mean, that student loan is an option for people, but I think one of the key aspects to borrowing for your education is that you need to calculate your return on investment, just like you would if you were investing in everything. Because I personally believe invest education is an investment in yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people disagree with me on this, but I, honestly, it's an investment to potentially earn more in the future. So you're trying to get these skills, you're trying to get this education, because you're trying to get a certain job in a certain field. And the great thing about today is if you spend five Five minutes Googling your job that you want to do. You can get the salary. You can know exactly what you're going to earn in whatever state. You can learn the cost of living places. Like it's really easy to get a pretty clear picture about what you want to do. So one of my rules of thumb is that you should know exactly. You don't have to be so specific about I want to work at this company and do this. But if you want to go be a doctor or a nurse, or I want to be a teacher, or I want to be um, an engineer, um, you can go and see how much they would earn after you graduate your first year. And I don't. Think people should borrow more than their first year salary because if they do more than that, they're really going to struggle to pay back that student loan. It's not impossible, um, but they will struggle and they will likely regret taking out as much as they did. I completely agree. So my dear daughter is going into nursing. She she absolutely loves the field, and I think her plan is to you know get her bachelor's in nursing, get her RN, and then eventually go on to become either a physician's assistant or nurse practitioner. So, you know, it's a field that she can actually do quite well. So I think that's why, even though I personally I'm not a huge fan of personal debt, uh, obviously, but again, I'm like you where I believe that there's there's definitely bad debt, but then there's there's good debt because rather than saying, well, you know what, I'm just going to stop at the associate's level or I'm not going to go to college because I don't want debt, I'm with you that if they're going into a field that's going to pay them well, then I'm not opposed to it. It's just your return on investment. Yes. So if you're going to be a doctor, you're going to potentially earn hundreds of thousands of dollars a year after you graduate. So and you have to go through a lot of education to get there. So it makes sense that you're going to borrow more, but your income can support that. Now, if you're going to be a teacher, there's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. We need t- great teachers in this country. But when the starting salary of a teacher is only twenty-five to $30,000 a year in some places, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to borrow $100,000 or more to go to school when you could go to a community college or a state school and you can spend significantly less to get the degree and get the education you need to be a successful teacher because in that field, you know, there, a lot of it's their personality and what they do and how, you know, especially in, you know, childhood, like early childhood education, like you don't need to go and get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt when there's a lot of great resources that you can save money on. You know, I think you and I have talked about this in the past, and this is a subject that I feel quite strongly on. Should a parent try to get their child into the best school possible? It's tough because that's where you have to look at that ROI. And so here's the this thing is it's it's really it's a weird dichotomy we have right now in this country. So if you go to the Ivy Leagues, Harvard, Stan, you know, Harvard and Yale and stuff, the, the, most of those students actually graduate with less student loan debt than the next oh, interesting. 200, 200 schools. So but that's that's why it's a dichotomy. So, you know, those top three um, Ivy Leagues. Because most of the people there that go there qualify for scholarships and, um, you know, different things. So they aren't paying in student loan debt. However, when you get to number four or five on the list of best schools, that student loan debt amount skyrockets. Wow. And it goes all the way through. And then you get to the state schools and you get to, um, you know, community colleges and stuff that I think add a lot of value for what you get. So I think it's important to look at that ROI. Look at what 
what student loan, what's it going to actually cost you to attend, how much you're going to have to borrow, and what do you want to do after you graduate? I just think that you know, you're going to school for a reason. The other thing I'd say is you don't necessarily need to jump right into a four-year university. If you're mm. 18 and you still just don't know what you want to do, go to the community college and get your general education credits. Maybe take a slow path, take one or one course a semester and like figure yourself out because college is such a expensive way to find yourself. Like if you're going to find yourself and figure out what you want to do in life, it is way too expensive to figure that out right now. I, Robert, I love what you just shared right there. And I think that maybe in years or decades past, there was maybe a stigma against going to community college personally. I think community colleges for that first year or two is one of the smartest investments that you can make. If you're not certain exactly, you know, what your path is and or, you know, maybe you don't qualify for as, you know, your child doesn't qualify for as many scholarships and or uh, other financial aid. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, if you even go to a four year school in their first freshman year and your sophomore year. You're just taking those basic math courses mm -hmm. and English courses. You're just taking that basic stuff. Get it for like a fraction of the price at your community college. Um, and then, you know, you can knock it out there. And if you actually, when you figure out what you want to do, then you can go jump right into those advanced level courses when you transfer to a four-year university. And you probably would actually get done in like two or three years as well yeah. um, because you've knocked out all that stuff at community college. Yeah, that's exactly what my dear wife did. So she went to community college for two years, absolutely free. I mean, between scholarships and uh, financial aid and everything, she, she went for free and she lived at home. She she had absolutely zero debt and, in fact, got after her first year was she worked uh, as well. And so she had saved up, uh, saved up enough money that she, I mean, she really got to enjoy a nice lifestyle while she was in college because her expenses were so little that she actually was able to fly and spend a couple of weeks in Hawaii with some that's family awesome. friends. And that's where she and I met. So nice. see if you oh, go, it all connects it's all fate right there. Yes. <laughs> if you're, so if she goes, if your kid, if your kid goes to community college, they'll meet the, uh, the man or woman of their dreams and fall in love and be happily ever after. <laughs> You know, for my, you know, my path to, you know, I joined the military, I was in the U.S. Navy for five years and got so much great experience and ended up, you know, getting close to a full year of my college courses done as well. So I was able to finish my degree after I got out of the Navy in two and a half years going to school throughout the calendar. But there's a lot of paths. And so I think one of the most important messages that I think you and I can share is that by doing research and looking at all the different options, you know, you might find something that initially you were closed off to, but if you do a lot of asking around, do a lot of talking, talk to other parents and do a lot of reading online, I think you can find that there are so many different paths that can give your child what they need. And I think maybe holding on to some ideas that aren't necessarily true anymore. Like I know one thing that's really changed is, you know, you used to want to go to uh, the best school you could afford or an Ivy League school for the connections. But because of technology and the internet and LinkedIn and, you know, just uh, how we can network and, and connect so much easier today, that's a belief that's kind of slowly changing, that you can make connections no matter what school you go to. Absolutely. And I think it doesn't, for me, it doesn't matter where you go or what you do. 
all that networking and pushing yourself forward is really on your students. So their inner drive will make them successful or make them fail at whatever place they end up. So you could spend $200,000 a year. And if your student doesn't have the drive to make those connections, mm-hmm. they're not going to get those connections. It's not going to happen, even if the school like lays it out for them on a platter. But, you know, they could also go to a community college or your state school and, you know, really work on networking and connecting with others. And they might have one of the best networks ever. It's really on that individual's drive to build whatever they want to achieve. I think college is a stepping stone to that, especially in today's world, because, you know, there are so many routes to education. I think MIT and all these schools put all their classes online for free. You could literally watch the (laughs) best lectures on computer science and different things that MIT offers for free on their website. Mm. So, It's like if you want education, there's ways to get education. You really have to decide for yourself why you're going to whatever path you're going to choose and what purpose is that going to serve. So something like nursing like your daughter wants to do, I mean, there's definitely credentials and things that she has to get to be able to be a nurse. Same thing with a teacher. You have to have credentials. Um, You know, and different things like they require skills. Engineering requires certain technical things. You could learn that online, but maybe going to a college forces you to sit in a computer lab and get it done Yeah, um, and helps you and you have different resources available for help. But you could get that at a community college. You get that at state school. You can get that mm-hmm. at, at various different educational institutions. So I think you really just have to decide why you're doing it, know what the outcome is going to be. And if you don't know, slow down. Like it doesn't have to happen. Like you mm-hmm. don't need to do it right away. I love it. Robert, you're a real smart guy. You you help so many people navigate these uh, these woods as they were. And what other resources do you help students and parents with at your website? Like how Honestly, else do you help them? We talk a lot about paying for college. Sadly, I catch way too many people on the back end. And that's <laughs> why I really love getting this message out early um, because I see too many people when they're already struggling with student loan debt um, well after graduation. So we help people with that. And then really my goal is to help people get out of student loan debt so you can start investing and building wealth for the future because the earlier you start to invest and build wealth and save, the more you'll have later on because that is a game of time. If you start when you're 18 or 22 and you start saving and investing, you know, you have a path of many options for yourself. Uh, indeed. So folks can find you at thecollegeinvestor.com and they, they're going to load up your webpage and they're going to see you right there, right on the front page. Boom. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Robert, thank you so much for taking this time. Uh, hopefully you've inspired some parents and given them a little bit of confidence. I know I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for my daughter. She's a hard worker. She's done well in school. She, you know, she worked really hard on her tests and working very hard now for scholarships. It's exciting. You know, parenting is, is fun at all stages, or at least it can be parents. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give you that hope. Uh, So thank you so much for your inspiration today. Thanks, Josh. All right, Randy Padauer, you are the Community Education Specialist with Lexington Law. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again, Josh. All right. And Randy, you're you're a consumer advocate as well. Lexington Law has done a lot of work for consumers for how long? For, I want to say, 18 years. I may be, you know getting the year wrong, but uh, I've, I've been here for uh, most of that time. Wow. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we've had a, a I think, a, a really good time fulfilling our mission uh, to consumers and to helping ensure that their credit reports are fair and accurate and substantiated. And I've always wondered That's this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is Lexington, is it because of Lexington, Kentucky, or where does the name come from? No, no. You know, uh, we feel like we're revolutionaries in this consumer <laughs> advocacy space. And so, you know, Lexington and Concord were two of the pivotal battles of the Revolutionary War. Hmm. Lexington is what we named the law firm, and Concord is what we call our products. Oh, I get it now. I get it now. <laughs> Took me a while. So, Randy, That's I mean, right. but but you believe that seriously, though, that, that Lexington Law is is really doing an important work that is needed. Absolutely. Look, you know, no, and we talked about this during the last podcast, but, you know, no one really um, is incentivized to speak out for consumers. Well, other than SavingsAngel.com. <laughs> of course. And, uh, and a few others, like Lexington Law. Um, most commercial interests uh, favor uh, the folks who are putting the information on credit reports, yeah. um, like banks, like collection agencies. Uh, interestingly, um, you can, you know, be just a, a real, you know, good-hearted, regular person doing the best they can, paying rent, paying utilities, paying your cable TV bill, and none of that, none of that hits your credit report. Mm. Rent is not reported to credit reports. Utilities aren't reported to credit reports. Certainly, um, cable TV and satellite television, things like that, even, even, uh, cell phone bills are not reported to credit reports unless, unless you are late or you, you know, have a dispute with someone. Say your roommate was the one who was responsible. It was actually their, uh, cable bill and they didn't pay it. Hmm. And guess what? You find it on your credit report. So again, uh, last time we gave it, we talked about an, uh, some examples where the system punished consumers for doing the wrong thing, and rightfully so, but didn't reward them for doing the right thing, like paying off a mess of, of uh, student loans or paying off a mortgage or a car. You're not rewarded for that. And in these cases, you're not even rewarded for paying your rent on time yeah. month after month and year after year. That's really unfair. Yeah, yeah, certainly it is. And so I, I'm curious now in terms of the negative things that can show up on a credit history. Um, what things right. do you see most common uh, to uh, clients who approach Lexington Law and say, hey, I, I, look, my credit score is not real great right now. I, uh, I I don't know if they pull a credit, if they usually pull a credit history before they come to you, or maybe they come to you uh, because they're wondering, why is my credit score so low? I got denied for a loan. Uh, and then you pull it up and they're like, oh my gosh, what kind of negative things do you right. typically see? Right. Okay. So we see all kinds of things from just minor late pays to charge offs, collections, bankruptcy, the whole range of things. But let me, there, there, there's, there's almost a question lurking behind the question there, which is, um, which is to say sort of what is the nature of credit reports and credit reporting? And, and I want to address that a little bit mm -hmm. in the, if, 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 if you, if you will, I think that the savings angel consumers will appreciate this and, and many of them, uh, for many, it won't be new, but for some, it, it will be. Credit reporting is not mandated 
by law. Here, let me tell you, let me say that again. It is not a requirement. The only laws that exist, like the Fair Credit Reporting Act, mm-hmm. exist to protect consumers. These are consumer protection statutes, not creditor protection statutes, consumer protection statutes. And there are only maximum credit reporting periods, not minimum credit reporting periods. So when, for example, say the department store tells you on the phone as you're confronting something that's unfair or inaccurate, and they say, well, I'm sorry, Mr. So-and-so, that has to stay on your credit report for seven years by law. That's a lie. The law says that it can't stay on more than seven years. There's no minimum. You're kidding me. No, there is no credit reporting is not mandated in the United States. Now, in some countries in Europe, a couple of other places, there there is mandatory credit reporting. Yeah. Not so in the United States. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is there is a buffet of consumer protection statutes that can be leveraged uh, to ensure that your credit reports are the way they're supposed to be. And when creditors, when cons- so, 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 so we want to, we want to set this table for the consumer. Yeah. As I said, there aren't too many strident consumer voices out there. We want to set that table for consumers. So for example, so, so uh, we're going to make sure as a law firm that all of these statutes are leveraged appropriately in the service of someone's fair, accurate, and substantiated credit. And those laws include, are you ready? I'm going to give you 15 seconds of a fire hose. All right. Not only, <laughs> the, fair credit, not only the Fair Credit Reporting Act, but the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act for collections, the Fair Credit Billing Act, uh, the Service Person Civil Relief Act for mm. those people who are in the military, uh, HIPAA, everybody knows about HIPAA. Yep. You go to the doctor, you sign your HIPAA disclosures. Guess what? Uh, medical collections are not just open season on your credit report. We hold them accountable to HIPAA privacy laws as applicable. Um, the Truth in Lending Act, there are more. I could keep going. There are more federal and state statutes that can be leveraged in the service of fighting for a consumer's mm. credit report. When a data furnisher does not want to take the time to answer questions that a consumer can lawfully ask, then they need to, uh, if they're not going to take the time to do that, they need to take the time then to revise that credit reporting. And we like to use the law to ensure that that happens. So, Randy, it sounds like there's a lot of laws that are on the books that consumers can use. And, you know, maybe with a bunch of research, they might, you know, they, they're, they're still not an attorney. You know, they, they might be able to figure out, well, you know, it's possible. But how does Lexington make this process a lot easier for consumers then? If there's all these, bo- all these laws that are on the right. books and they could legitimately clear up a lot of stuff in their credit history. Well, you can. And, and by the way, there, you know, there are folks who uh, sort of turn it into second careers. I mean, there are pretty cool. And look, and we love those people. You know, I mean, you can go online and you can find um, you can find discussion boards where people are sort of parsing the intricacies of all of these laws. Mm-hmm. It takes, you know, some reading and it takes some study to, and, and so forth. You know, A lot of people think that credit repair is simply just about disputing things with credit bureaus. Nope. 
And that's not what it's about, typically. You know, when you when you dispute something with, say, TransUnion or Equifax or Experian, the computer at the credit bureau pings the computer at the data furnisher, and basically it looks like this. Did you report this to me? And the computer at the creditor reports back, yep, it's a match. And so then the consumer is given a note that says, hey, it's been reinvestigated and all is well. See, that process presumes that the data is okay, not only accurate, but fair. Yeah. And fairness is an interesting thing. I'll give you a couple of examples about fairness. And substantiated, and we can talk about that too, um, that's something that a consumer law firm is, is very well poised to, uh, to get into by uh, essentially drafting uh, legal interventions. We call them creditor interventions, which mm-hmm. are letters um, that are uh, tailored to a client's case um, that are sent to the data furnishers. The, the bulk of our work is with the data furnishers. That is a real differentiator between us and so many of the folks who call themselves credit repair specialists. Yeah. Yeah, you really do have to be careful. And Randy, this is probably something you know quite a bit better than I do. I, I just know that, unfortunately, in this space, there there is some shady businesses, I'd say, where they're, they're all about marketing and infomercials and, you know, these just ridiculous commercials. And, uh, you know, I, I think the one thing, you know, and again, I was really impressed when I had uh, checked with a couple of uh, consumer advocate and expert friends of mine uh, about Lexington Law. They said, no, they're, they are about the, in, in terms of the whole industry, they are the gold standard. Like any, almost anybody else uh, is just basically trying to be like Lexington Law. So in terms of attorneys that you've got that are part of this operation, uh, to just your historical reputation, your own um, you know, kind of consumer rating for your own agency, you're quite different from what else is out there. I, I'm wondering if you could share maybe a warning to anyone who's considering, well, I'm just going to go on Fiverr and hire, I'm just joking, but you know, I'm just going to you know, go to some no-name you know, sales website and have them take care of it because they said they can do it for you know, $49.95 complete guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, no, I, so yeah, no, that's, that is, that would be a well-placed warning. Um, people should avoid those who promise outcomes. Uh, anybody who, who says, hey, you know what, this will come off your credit report. You know, I mean, when you go to, um, the doctor, okay, and, and you say, you know, I, I, there's something wrong with me and you're diagnosed, the doctor doesn't promise that you're going to get well. Mm-hmm. You know, with the doctor's skill, you most often will. But, you know, you go to the lawyer. Let's say, you know, sadly, what they say, half of America, 50% of marriages end up in divorce, which is an unbelievable statistic. But nobody who goes to, uh, say, an attorney for a divorce is promised by that attorney, you know, hey, you know, guaranteed you're going to get every single thing. You're going to win this right down the line. And, yeah. you know, anybody who promises outcomes, and sadly, so many of the folks uh, who offer credit repair uh, do just that. We don't. So uh, for some who are attracted to the promise of a definite outcome, we're not for you. Uh, I will say that the vast majority of our clients have seen significant credit report improvement and substantial credit score improvement uh, during their uh, engagement periods with us. 
One thing, Josh, that I would talk about, uh, too, is this business of, uh, of unfair credit items. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it just, it just occurred to me, I'm not sure if we want to tackle that this podcast or next. I do actually, please. Okay. Well, you know, in the case of say, and this impacts so many people, let's say you, you did go to the emergency room, you know, so much of, of, uh, what happens there, uh, is a mystery to, to patients. It's the one place you go where you're going to buy something and you don't know what the problem is yet. You don't know what the cure is yet. You don't know what you're buying. You don't even know who's paying. You don't know how much of it is going to be covered by your insurance, whether you're paying, whether the third party's paying, whether it's going to be discounted. You don't know what you're buying. You don't know what it costs. And you don't even know who's paying. I mean, imagine if you were buying a TV at Best Buy that way. So it is a complete and utter, you know, sort of pit of confusion. What can happen while you're waiting for the insurance company to work this out with usually, by the way, add to that list, you don't even know who you're buying it from. Is it the hospital? Is it a practitioner? Is it the medical? I mean, a lot of times a visit to the hospital involves multiple bills. And so while you're expecting the insurance company to be working all that out, um, you get things in the mail. You think, oh, the insurance company's working that out. Suddenly you get a collection letter. You know, you're assuming that you're covered. The whole process is mysterious. You don't even know what you're buying. And suddenly things start showing up in your mailbox that tell you, hey, on top of it all, your credit is now trashed for seven years. Mm. We don't believe that's fair. And so, you know, and, and making it even worse, let's just say then that you don't pay it one of these bills because you don't think it's just, which happens a lot. Guess what? That collection agency then sells it to another collection agency. Yep, and right. that can happen I've heard of this. two or three times. Yeah, making a single obligation that was questionable to begin with paint the consumer as some serial deadbeat, making it look like multiple items on a trade on a, on a multiple trade lines on a credit report. So while technically and, and by the way, every time the collection agency adds fees and interest and other kinds of uh, ridiculous add-on fees that nobody agreed to. So in this scenario, um, everything could be technically accurate, but we believe it's patently unfair. And so we believe in going to bat for consumers and playing hardball on their behalf. And we've seen excellent results. And, and yes, this is something that you can do on your own if you study the law. And we're happy to step in for people who just don't have the time to do that. Um, so, you know, in terms of then what might happen to a credit score, I'm thinking of like a real world application here where someone wanted to refinance their loan and their mortgager said, well, you know, you really need to have like a 680, you know, and you're sitting at 660 right now. Like how much work does it take to really move the needle on a score? Well, I believe, as you do, because I know what Savings Angel is about, I believe in delivering value even in this podcast. So maybe we can help somebody right here do just that, take a 660 to a 680 without having to engage our or anybody else's service. Here's what they can do. The first thing is 
is that if you're in a position to buy a house and you're on the edge there, take a look at your credit cards. If you have some maxed out credit cards, um, paying them way down um, can often get you that 10, 20, 30 points that you need. Now, many of our clients aren't, aren't necessarily in a position to do that, and they're not really quite on the verge of buying a house either. Uh, although we do deal with clients, uh, you know, along the full spectrum and do, I hope, and I think a great job for them. But, um, but yeah, that's a little tip that might help somebody who's listening right now. Okay, good. Any, anything else besides, you know, if they say, well, yeah, that's really great, but what, what else can I do and say, you know, aside from that, you know, what could I do to move the needle maybe over six months time? Well, I mean, you know, in, in the case of a credit report that, that has significant damage, multiple late pays mm-hmm. or, and or collections and so forth, um, uh, sometimes, uh, as, as we talked about, sometimes just simple disputation uh, isn't enough because the, the computers, uh, amazingly, right, seem to agree once again that it should be there. Sometimes it takes some humor, human, maybe it takes a sense of humor too, but sometimes it takes some human intervention to uh, to, to shake the leaves up and uh, see some some action there, and that's that's what we are position to do well randy i'm gonna we're gonna chat one more time in this three-part series and and i'm really excited for anyone who's been listening to this um by the time we're all done i think you're gonna know pretty much what you need to know in terms of like how you can make some serious moves forward with your you know making sure that your credit history is um in great shape uh, that your, I mean, that your report is in great shape and that your credit score is on its way to improving. And Lexington Law does a very good job of helping consumers. The price is exceptionally fair when you consider the caliber of talent that you get to work with. And I suspect, Randy, that, that Lexington Law uh, can likely get stuff done a little bit faster than someone who's just trying to search around on the internet and try to figure all this stuff out on their own, right? Well, I mean, you know, in order for me to agree with that, I'm then making a promise to every single person who's listening that we're guaranteed to make it faster for everybody. And and I think that that would not be what a professional firm would do. Okay, okay. But, yeah, I hate to be that guy. But um, I will say that uh, we have seen uh, tremendous results with our past and present clients. And um, uh, our process is one that is proven and grounded in consumer law. And um, for that reason, it's it's a little different, I think, than just the straight disputation-based credit repair programs that you sometimes see out there that I personally believe aren't nearly as effective but I'll, uh, uh, people can go and, and read about that on the internet for themselves. And just really quickly, because we talked about it last uh, last week, but there's three different price points um, that, that someone will find uh, at, at LexingtonLaw.com. And um, just real briefly, what is the difference between the three levels? Yeah, okay. Yes, okay. So Concord Standard at $79. Uh, uh, and this is sort of an abbreviated quick answer. Uh, uh, but that includes uh, interventions, creditor interventions targeted to the data furnishers, 
applicable challenges to the bureaus, all of which aren't disputes, by the way. Uh, some are general inquiries following up on uh, activity that was creditor directed, and we call that item uh, verification. So that's a little different. Um, that is uh, included uh, in the $79 service. The $99 service adds credit score improvement analysis, report watch, and inquiry assist. Uh, we talked a little bit about that in the first podcast. And at $119 a month, um, there is the uh, all of that plus the FICO tracking. FICO uh, scores are expensive typically. Uh, and we include that um, EWS alerts, early warning system alerts to help prevent to help prevent identity theft. This is the top level essentially of service that uh, companies like LifeLock offer. Uh, that level of early warning system alerts. And we can talk about in a different uh, time exactly what that what that is all about. But for that level of EWS protection, LifeLock only sells that in their top level of service at twenty nine dollars a month. And some really good personal finance tools. You know, um, it doesn't make sense to repair your credit and not be really, really, really on top of your finances. And our our clients appreciate having the best of breed tools to help them do just like that, just just that very thing. So that's the summary of our three service levels at Lexington Law. Good. And so someone can just go to LexingtonLaw.com and they can do that. And um, if they have questions, there, I think there's a phone number, right, that they can call as well if they're like, well, this sounds great. Look, I, I really do, you know, I've been, our credit score is really not that great. I'd like to improve it. Um, if someone's not sure, like, which one uh, they should buy, uh, they could just call, right, and someone will help them decide what level would be best for them. That's right. I've got a, a, a little note here. Um, we have a, looks like a, a dedicated number for Savings Angel, and we will be happy to uh, uh, talk to your folks. Uh, uh, and we treat all of our uh, consumers like angels, by the way, Josh. No offense, <laughs> but we will, we'll double up on the angelic treatment for your people at one 751 And I, I hate to Give that phone number that way because I'm I'm not sort of an enrollment person. I'm a consumer advocate. It feels kind of funny for me to be handing out toll free <laughs> numbers, but there I- it is. I appreciate that. I, I look, I, for someone who's driving or they're, they're busy right now, they're, they're feeding the baby, whatever it may be. I, look, just look for my email. I'm going to, I'll email you all the information on that. Um, if you get my, uh, my email that goes out twice a week through Savings Angel, I'll send you that, that contact information so you can take a look at this. And, uh, Randy. Come back one more time because I got a few more questions uh, on behalf of our Savings Angel fans um, so I can make sure we understand you know, how this whole thing works and how we can all move forward. But uh, Randy Padauer, the Community Education Specialist yep. at Lexington Law, thank you so much for your time. Well, it was great being here again. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. And I'd like to thank Randy Podauer from Lexington Law for being a part of the show. And thank you to Lexington Law for sponsoring this three-part segment, which I really, really, really appreciate. Uh, because again, it's this topic that I really wanted to talk about. And Lexington Law was very, very generous in being able to say, yes, we'll supply an expert. Yes, we'll sponsor this segment. So thank you so much, Lexington Law, for making all this information available to my most amazing Savings Angel podcast audience. 
Now, before I share the important changes to couponing I mentioned at the top of the show, I wanted to remind you of some other changes that I find very exciting and hope you do too. First of all, Savings Angel has both our VIP grocery savings membership and some new free store lists. Now, in our effort to bring more and more value to our friends and fans, we've made stores like Albertsons, Dollar General, and Publix absolutely free. Just go to savingsangel.com, click on store deals in the menu at the top of the page, and you're going to see, wow, bam, 20 different stores that you can choose from where every single week we share with you the absolute best deals that you need to get at those stores. And you can browse the entire ad with all the coupons that we could find matched up. We've got a lot of people that are all working together to make this happen for you. It's all free of charge. Now, if you want our advanced system and stores we have there, we also still have our VIP membership. Now, that also includes a library of videos where I'm going to teach you everything about getting more out of your money. Wouldn't that be cool? Hundreds of ways to save on everyday expenses from groceries to travel to utilities. It's $3.99 a week for everything. And you know what? My goal is to help you save two to $300 minimum every single month. So if you understand return on investment, $3.99 a week in, two to $300 back, yeah, that's called return on investment. That's a good thing. So there's your first test right there uh, to see if we could help you move forward with your money. Now, if you just want to try it out risk-free, no worries. I'm sure we can help you save, but if you decide it's not for you, you can cancel anytime you like for any reason. And if you do so within the first 28 days, just ask for your money back. Rachel will take care of you. Rachel's awesome. Now, we're excited to continue to bring you more and more value, and these newly free store lists are just part of a just another way that we can do that. Now, the coupon changes you should know. You ready? Here we go. Now, back in 2011, J.C. Penny, oh, J.C. Penny, man, oh, man. That's, I, I, you know, J.C. Penny feels like a store that is just in disarray. Uh, they stopped issuing coupons in favor of a everyday low pricing model. Hey, I know, let's be like Walmart. And the sales didn't plummet. They crashed and burned. Regardless of the evidence that changing or removing coupons and opting for other sales strategies isn't always the best idea, it appears history is doomed to repeat itself. And not just at JCPenney's, otherwise known as JCP, other stores and businesses are making changes too. And whether or not they're on track for what consumers are looking for in the current economy remains to be seen. So here are five coupon changes you need to know. Number one, believe it or not, JCPenney, as I mentioned, is again changing their coupons. Based on data research, they say, they're going to move to targeted coupon offers rather than the general ones we've all come to know and love. In other words, it's likely goodbye to the $10 off $10 plus coupons as well as the $10 off $25 plus coupons. Listen, those were pretty great. Holy cow. They were, I mean, look, I, obviously I don't think they're making a whole lot of money on that unless they're just getting people in the store or whatever. But I'm going to tell you right now, as a consumer, those were great coupons. Now, the way it sounds, JCP will no longer issue coupons good for the mass, vast majority of items like 
uh, in the store. Now, instead, I want you to watch for coupons that are more specific, like uh, $5 off $15 in home goods. Now, those type of coupons will allow JCP to both limit and better control coupon usage. But for the consumer, it's likely that more coupons will simply go unused altogether. Now, on the brighter side, JCPenney also plans to region adjust pricing in their stores. Now, up until now, their pricing has been consistent store to store, regardless of area. But this change could result in lower prices for some areas of the country and maybe higher prices for others. Walmart does this. Now, um, so if you go to two different Walmarts, yeah, they can absolutely have different different prices. So let's talk about number two, and this is Target. Target has killed printable store coupons altogether. It's been a slow fade, so it's not surprising to avid couponers that Target has finally completely discontinued printable store coupons. Hey, look, we over at Savings Angel, I don't really care. Uh, move them all to digital. That makes sense to me. Now, they're, conti- they're going to continue to offer printable manufacturer coupons, but not Target store coupons printed. Now, this change came over time as Target aimed to drive more and more consumers to their car Cartwheel app. Now, if you don't understand the Cartwheel app, I, I just want to give you a little bit of confidence, okay? Any money-saving app, any coupon app, you can learn very easily, okay? It, it's just going to take you a few times of using it, but once you get over that hump, I have not seen an app yet that's been too overly complicated that I didn't feel uh, a, save, a friend of Savings Angel couldn't uh, learn how to use it and make it a part of their regular shopping. Again, these things are all just setting new habits. Now, through the app, you can better control, they can con- uh, better control who gets their store coupons and redeems them, but that's not perfect either. Now, the much anticipated Cartwheel Perks app has been shown to, uh, to be vulnerable to hackers who have easily created numerous accounts to take advantage of generous offers. Now, on the brighter side, Target doesn't plan to get rid of their store coupons altogether and is planning to quote unquote, go back to its roots, according to CEO Brian Cornell. Now, Target is sinking over $7 billion into revamping stores, lowering prices, adding new brands, and increasing technology. But the new plan also includes fewer sales in favor of quote unquote, here we go again, everyday low pricing. Sound familiar? So we'll see if they can be successful with the strategy where other stores have failed. Now, speaking of everyday low prices, number three, Walmart threatens big name manufacturers in an attempt to lower prices. Now, Walmart has always had a pretty good coupon policy and redeeming coupons there is generally easy. But now, in an attempt to reclaim their self-proclaimed, quote-unquote, lowest prices title, they have another strategy, simply cut prices. That sounds great for consumers, except this strategy demands they threaten Big name manufacturers, the ones most likely to put out coupons. If a manufacturer won't cut their wholesale price, Walmart will retaliate by no longer prominently displaying their goods. Well, I guess this is how free market works. Now, it also could mean possibly discontinuing the offer of certain product lines completely. They're playing hardball. Now, the result for the consumer is that if manufacturers decide not to comply, it won't matter if you have a coupon for their product or not. On the brighter side, any lower prices, whether you can also use a coupon or not, are always a welcome thing. Now, if you happen to live where ad matching still exists, you have that for now.
Number four, Kroger has chimed the final death bell for double coupons. And senior discounts? Kroger systematically phased out double couponing at their stores over six years. And finally, the last area in the Nashville region has fallen. Now, this isn't necessarily news, but there is a bright spot. If you have Harris Tweeter or Roundies in your area, even though they are owned by Kroger, they still do double coupons. But on a sad note, the discontinuation of Senior Discount Day is on the horizon. Sorry, seniors. Some Kroger divisions have already discontinued the offer, and others are sure to follow suit. Kroger claims that ending these types of programs will allow them to lower prices for all customers. Now, whether that plays out remains to be seen. And finally, number five, our good friends over at Swagbucks offers a, con- a coupon double dipping. All right, so Swagbucks is offering coupon double dipping. Now, what this, what this means here is Swagbucks printable grocery coupons give you both the discount at the store and you also get Swagbucks toward cash back and or gift cards when you redeem the coupon. So you save twice. Swagbucks also offers double dipping on hundreds of other coupons for everything from clothing to experiences to services, and they're always adding new savings opportunities. All you need to do is go to savingsangel.com forward slash Swagbucks to start saving. Or you can just go to savingsangel.com, scroll down the right-hand side, look for the little Swagbucks logo. Swagbucks is a partner of Savings Angel. And of course, they, they give us a little uh, little gift or something like that. I think we get a little gift card or something like that if we, if we send people their way. So thank you so much. Uh, look, it's either Savings Angel or Google. And, you know, I, I hopefully you, you love us at least as much as you love Google. And now I always want you to save. And coupons are just one way to do that. I want to invite you to do a fun, motivational, and not only inexpensive, but possibly get paid way to lose weight. And join me in doing it. Now, before the holidays, I had done a diet bet and actually lost more than my goal. I lost over 10 pounds in four weeks. So I'm gearing up to do another one because it works. It starts March 23rd. Okay, even if you're listening to this already started, like it's already like the end of March, you can still join us. The, uh, the, this diet bet actually runs for four weeks. Now, if you missed my experience last year, you're not familiar with diet bet. Let me just give you a quick little rundown on how it works and why it actually works. It's an online weight loss game. Okay. And the reason it works is because you're actually putting skin in the game. In this case, you bet $35. You're betting against yourself that you can lose 4% of your body weight in four weeks. If you do it, you get your money back and you win some money. If you don't do it, you do lose your $35. But what I found is that a person like me, like my personality, I'm like, oh, there ain't no way I'm losing that $35. Okay. Now, if you do that or better, you lose that 4% or better, you win the money. The jackpot of money, it's divided up among all participants who lose at least 4% of their current weight. If you don't make it, Cost you $35, you at least tried, and chances are you lost some weight. 93% of diet betters actually lose weight. So it's a pretty inexpensive weight loss program for sure. Now, added to the motivation to not lose your money 
is an incredibly supportive community and targeted micro goals. Okay, Again, the motivators make it pretty hard not to lose weight while playing in the game. Now, diet bet, they're not going to tell you how to lose weight. You already know how to do that, right? It's not rocket science. Um, it, it's just what it is, it's those small little self-control decisions about what do I do when nobody's looking? Oh, is it really going to make a, you know, make a difference if I stop by McDonald's or I wait and maybe I eat something a little healthier at home? Now, if you're constantly thinking about your game, your competition, I'm just going to tell you from experience, it was all those small decisions that made my 10-pound weight loss Absolutely worked. Actually, 10.8 pounds in four weeks. And before you say, ladies, oh, he's a guy. He could lose weight easily. I, I look. I know. I, I guys do have a small advantage. Well, have an advantage. I don't know if it's small. I don't know if it's big. But what I have seen is that diet bets probably about seventy five percent female. You're not going to be alone. You can do this. There's a really supportive group. Uh, this matter of fact, there we have a specific group just for Savings Angel diet betters. Please join me. I'm going to be there. I'm going to cheer you on. We could do this together. Okay, to join. It, the, the link that you need to use is savingsangel.com forward slash diet bet. Join me. Let's do this. I'm going to help you and you'll probably win some money too. Well, that's it for this week's show. I hope everything I shared helps you and your family. If you loved hearing everything in this podcast, do me a favor. Share it with a friend on the social medias. I promise I'm going to make you look really, really good. They're going to come back and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, that was life-changing. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Okay, you can also join our Facebook group. You could do that. Just go to Savings Angel, find the little Facebook. uh, You could just search on uh, Facebook for Savings Angel as well. There's a page. There's some imposter pages. But then there's our private Facebook group. Okay, click join. I'll let you in. If you're listening to this podcast, you better believe I'll let you in. Um, And then you can be a part of that group. Share your saving stories, ask questions, get support. We're all in this together, my friends. Listen, with that, I want you to have a wonderful week full of saving more, earning more, and living more abundantly. Thank you for listening. always want to save, whoops, 